I sent, I texted my sisters yesterday and I said, did you know that the new iPhone is going to switch to another new charging port? Mm. They were not happy that she said, literally, why? And I said, they've been using lightning for 10 years. She said, no, they haven't. I thought they just switched (laughs) recently. (laughs) It turns out she was confused because she had, I got her the iPad Air, I think for Christmas. And she thought the iPhone was switching to something that's not USB-C, I guess. Right. Okay. And then I explained that to her and she still wasn't pleased. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes through lightning cables like, like, like crazy. I don't know how, but she buys like the 15 foot ones on Amazon and they just die. The 15 foot ones are definitely less reliable. They're useful because they're long, but they definitely die faster. And I also, she, she's starting school this month, I think, and she needed a new laptop. Mm. So she got the M2 MacBook Air. And I said, well, you can also like charge your, your phone, your laptop and your iPad all with the same cable now. She still wasn't happy. (laughs) You can't be pleased. Keep your, keep your iPhone 12. And last week she said, she said, can I buy more storage for my phone? And I was like, do you mean, do you mean iCloud storage? And she she said, no, it keeps offloading (laughs) all my apps. Download more RAM. (laughs) Download more RAM. And like the only trade-off is the, uh, you know, frustration with people who have the old cables. But like, it's pretty hard to argue that it's not like superior in most other ways. Oh, you can get an anchor 100 watt, 10 foot. Nylon USB C cable for nine ninety nine. That's pretty to be fair. You can get lightning cables that are about that as well. Right? Yeah, that's true. I imagine when they switched to lightning though, wasn't weren't like the knockoffs weren't as readily available, so you probably did have to buy like more expensive ones. Like obviously the lightning knockoffs came, you know, relatively quickly, but it was like still late enough that the initial PR storm had happened. I think I said this once on the show, but the part that's kind of bad is everybody who's buying these new macbook airs is getting magsafe now and not yes just the USB-C cable yeah i definitely think there's going to be some backlash about it well last week we talked about mark german saying a new ipad pro next year but also at least what i thought was more interesting was a new magic keyboard for the ipad pro And last week, we kind of speculated about what they could change, like maybe adding a function row. And Gurman said they'd make the trackpad bigger. But then in Power On this week, he said what they're actually planning is to turn the base of the Magic Keyboard, so like the bottom part where the keyboard and the trackpad is, into aluminum instead of like the rubbery... Is it rubber? I don't know, like the weird material. It's like fabric-y, right? Like like, rubbery fabric. I guess aluminum is going to be nicer, but my concern is it's going to be heavy. And the the outside will still be that same material. It's only the the bit around the keyboard, the keyboard surround that will be the aluminium. It sounds like a MacBook. Technically, it's called the top case, because on a a MacBook, the top case is the metal bit, right? Yeah. It sounds weird calling it the top case of an iPad, because it's not the top, right? But... um, it's like the top uh, so of the I, keyboard. The way it, yeah, it's at the top of the keyboard. So I put base because I think it's pretty clear what that means. But the 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 idea is the aluminium part would be the bit around the keyboard and on the bottom when you're holding it in like laptop mode. And then if it's closed up, all you'd see is the outside fabric-y material. Uh, German says that, at least in his analysis in the newsletter, that it won't be that much heavier. How are they going to do but, that? Aluminum weighs a lot more than rubber or fabric well, or whatever he says the weight difference will apparently be neg- neg- negligible if i could pronounce that i think it sounds uh, kind of like the bridge keyboards that used to exist and those were heavy but i guess well no because they did the same thing where the base was aluminum and then you had like a rubber fabric style thing you just slapped on the back so it sounds a lot like that design i guess i don't i mean maybe if they get rid of the cantilever part that maybe pull some of the weight down and counterbalances the aluminium on the bottom. But is this going to like convince people that the iPad Pro is a laptop replacement? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I, this I is... don't think it's going to change the boat. It's not going to shake the boat too much on, you know, it doesn't change usability of the product. And uh, in our show notes, I kind of put, well, I'd still choose a MacBook if it had a fabric base, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> the functionality is not the... Uh, it gives it a more premium feel for sure. And yeah. Maybe it's a bit sturdier. And some people complain that like the... 
um, the fabric like peels away or whatever over time on the Magic Keyboard. So yeah, yeah I mean, aluminium is probably better for that. But obviously, in terms of like using the iPad itself, uh, doesn't really change the, calcul- the the equation too much. And it might actually make it slightly worse because German speculates they might make it more expensive because aluminium costs more than fabric. It's already material. so expensive too. Is it three fifty? For the twelve, it's two ninety nine for the eleven inch, yeah, three forty nine for the twelve point nine inch, yeah. So it's pretty expensive because, like, that plus the iPad is more than the equivalent thirteen inch M two MacBook Air, right? Like, I mean, on the twelve point nine inch, that's approaching like MacBook Pro territory, especially if they mm-hmm. make it more expensive. Yeah, because it's already what ten ninety nine to start, or whatever. Yeah, it's like the 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 M two MacBook Air is just such a good deal. It's like puts the ipad pro to shame a little bit unfortunately i guess one of the benefits of using aluminum instead of fabric is that like using the ipad pro in your lap might be a little bit better because that's one of the biggest problems with the current magic keyboard but i think a lot of the issues with that is like the weight distribution between because of like the cantilever design like it's so back heavy when it's on your lap that it just doesn't feel stable and i guess an aluminum base would kind of counter that out a little bit but not if german says it's going to weigh about the same but yeah, like you said, either way, it's not going to... The problem with peop- that most people have with the iPad Pro is not the fact that the keyboard's made out of fabric. It's Yeah, I mean, look, you make everything that you can better, right? Some things are smaller, some things are bigger, and this is just a, a smaller improvement. And hopefully they have other bigger stuff that makes a difference. I mean, obviously, these new iPads are going to have OLED screens. That's a big difference, right? That's a, yeah. And, yeah, and it, it's a lot nicer. But again, still, doesn't really change the calculus on productivity of the you know or functionality of the product because i mean the macbook air the macbooks don't have screens but they're way more productive because obviously it's a lot of it comes down to the operating system right and right they have made some improvements in ipad 17 uh but there's obviously a lot more to do there uh but you you don't want to be too cynical and be like every other thing they change about it is like well that doesn't make it but good so like why bother doing it you know then you'd never change anything so then they're moving it forward i think going to aluminium make a bigger trackpad you know it'll at least be nicer right if you've got one um it might not make it more useful, but it'll be nicer to have. So and there you go. And part of what makes like the iPad Pro, I think, even a tougher sell, like you said, is the MacBook Air and the M1 MacBook Air at eight ninety nine. But then also, Digitimes this week had an interesting report that isn't based on their usual sources, which is like data coming from the supply chain and Apple's supply chain partners, but rather some sort of like anonymous sources and. They say there's no signs of this in the supply chain right now. But what they said is that Apple's working on a lower-cost MacBook that would be designed to be a Chromebook competitor. Chromebooks are like $200, $300. I don't know how you make a MacBook that's even close to that in price without going against like everything that makes the MacBook good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Apple just barely gets an iPad into that price range. Yeah, exactly, now, so. yeah. I don't the, think you the, can... Get an iPad with a keyboard in that price range. No, you you definitely can't. You definitely can't. I mean, for Apple, like, assuming this is true, right, to compete against a Chromebook, Apple could still have something that's more than $200, $300, right? They could have, like, a $600 laptop uh, that would be more, way more competitive to that low end of the market than, you know, their current laptops are because they've started $999 and up. But even a $600 Apple laptop is pretty... Uh, high in the sky thinking like the digitimes report on making a cheap like macbook comes out like every other year i swear they just yeah. like trot it out they're like here we go blah, 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 and then you know nothing ever really comes of it and it moves along i'm sure there's like seeds of truth somewhere if you like look into it really closely that maybe apple's investigating ways to bring the prices down of components or they're like, looking into you know maybe all education ideas and you know hypotheticals and research and development and testing stuff out but like there's a big long stretch between that and you know apple's actually going to make a product that's like super super cheap uh, like the the m1 air is like the minimum spec that's like a respectable apple computer these days and that's yeah a thousand dollars right or 899 for education and so mm-hmm. And the the cheapest MacBook they've ever done is what, like maybe seven ninety nine when they had the eleven inch MacBook Air all those years ago. Oh yeah, I think they got down to seven ninety nine. Um, but still, like that's still less than the six hundred I was talking about. And then that's obviously you know you got half that again to get down to like a Chromebook price. So like the there's a huge delta there in terms of what's actually like practically viable from an Apple perspective. They just don't make stuff that's super cheap. Like 
the Darn. iPad, the, the the 329 iPad, which might even be slightly more expensive now, it's something around 329, which isn't the like the because they refreshed the base iPad, but that was 450, right? So the, they've right. got the old yeah. generation base iPad, which is 329, but that used to be like the only base iPad, right? That was like a crazy good deal at 329. That, obviously, still other tablets that are cheaper exist, but like in the Apple world, 329 for the iPad was like a steal. It was like a great, great purchase. Uh, and that was like the outlier. Like, you know, the iPhone SE is like Apple's cheapest phone and that's still pretty expensive and not super advanced. Like it's like iPhone 8 design and they charge like $500 for it. You know, <laughs> like that's just the Apple way of things. They don't have a pressure. They don't have a price pressure to hit those super, super low end um, areas of the market and go for volume because they don't really need to. Uh, the only way that I could really see this kind of come together is if they had some like renewed education initiative where they're like, we really want to get penetration of Apple computers higher in education. And so we're going to make like a specific spec laptop just for education market, not mm-hmm. for like mainline consumer. And they've done this like very tentatively in some ways because they've offered like the MacBook Air with half the storage that you could buy as a normal person on the education store, which gave it another $100 discount. They've done that in the past. I don't think they do it at the moment. Um, so like, you know, there are some very, some occasional um like compromises or decisions they make to kind of cater to the education market specifically and if they really really wanted to find some growth there they could make like a you know a stripped down macbook air that maybe is like another 200 dollars cheaper and then sell that in master education too and which maybe is where like digitimes keeps getting these ideas from uh well maybe they're just not doing it you know like i don't think consume i don't think they're going to come out with a a, a consumer laptop that's much cheaper than the current 999 price because even the 999 price is the m1 macbook air right like it's not even the current gen m2 macbook air it's three so, years old at this point yeah it's three years old so even if you want to be like generous uh maybe they take the m1 air and they keep it around 899 for another cycle if they really really want to but what's probably going to happen is next year the m1 air will disappear and the M2 or the M3 Air will be 999 again, right? Like, they'll just chop off the low end of the market. They don't have a a really... They've never had a tendency to push for that super low end of, of the spectrum. And, you know, at least today, that strategy has served them very well. The point about, like, the MacBook Air with half the storage is a good one because I was looking on Amazon right now, and one of the ways I assume these Chromebooks are so cheap is that most of them only have 64 gigabytes of storage like four gigabytes of ram and that's how they get down to 200 bucks for a 14 inch computer or even this one which is fine because you run web apps on them right yeah and the digital times report too is weird because it says the appearance will still use a metal casing but made of different materials and the unit price of the component costs will be lower allowing for a more affordable price all of these chromebooks are made of plastic and they're $200, $300. The MacBook Air is made of aluminum, and it's $899, $999. I don't know the gap between those two, where a materials difference that's still metal gets you even close to the Chromebook price. Yeah, Apple doesn't know how to make cheap stuff. Like It's not not in their nature. The design team just doesn't want to do it. And part of what Apple pushes in education so much about the Mac and the iPad is like the creativity app aspect of it, like Final Cut and Logic Pro Now and... All of those iMovie, all of those like creative suite of apps that are used quite a bit in like high school education media programs and all of that. You can't run that yeah, stuff in media on a Chromebook. Programs, not in like mainline school all the time. Like what, what people? That's why Chromebooks so popular, right? Right, people exactly. Use some web apps and they use word processors. And so, yeah, if you if Apple was like really, um, I don't know if desperate is the right word, but like really interested in like expanding the overall market share of the Mac, then making a more education focused machine that maybe does have even less storage you know less ram and, and really stripped down like maybe they could do like an a17 laptop right rather than an m chip um which would basically be like an ipad yeah. laptop form factor and mac os uh, which is something they could definitely do if they wanted to do it and it would be more serving of a school environment um that have you know that they want to sell in mass you know, bundles of $700 laptops or something to schools. And at $700, you can still be made out of metal or whatever, but you're way cheaper than the $1,000 price that you currently sell them at, or $600. You know what I mean? Like, there is a delta there to make a lower-cost um, industry-specific machine, uh, but I don't know if we're at that time yet where Apple really wants to go down that road. But they've done some other strange things, and, you know, like, they've, they've done some services stuff that people don't like, and, uh, you know, 
they put ads on the app store to make some more money that incrementally doesn't make them loads of money in the scheme of things but it does make them more money and so you could see them maybe you know trying to do something with that on the hardware side with like a you know cheap education specific laptop like i don't think the concept is downright insane i think doing it for like a consumer market is like apple's just not going to do that they'll sell you 899 or an up machines for laptops it's just a fact uh but for like, if you want to do like education specific, I can't speak today. Education specific, um, like models. I think that is something that maybe they would consider at some point eventually. Uh, Digitimes is not the source that I would depend on to be assured of that. If that makes sense. <laughs> this story also prompted me. I knew there was an interview that Tim Cook did where he, I think it was in 2018 when they had that education focused event. Remember that it was in chicago and they announced like some really weird stuff there was that ibooks author or i don't know it was a weird event and it was like apple refocusing on education particularly around the ipad and that's when they did the 329 ipad for the first time i think is it yeah okay well yeah. that there was an interview tim cook did i guess following that where he talked specifically about chromebooks and called them cheap test machines and kind of said that what apple wants to do in education is focus on like creativity and giving students like that whole experience and i think that's probably like just the biggest differentiator between why apple can be priced higher than a chromebook and why it's fine with that because apple's not going to make a computer that's basically just a glorified way to access web apps they're not going to make the compromises that would prohibit people from doing more than just taking tests like what how tim cook described the chromebook that is true but every single year that goes by silicon gets faster and faster and faster and like the a series chip in your phone can do a lot of even those like media tasks right you know not as quick as an m series chip or the latest a series chip but like you know you take an an a15 chip in like the ipad in like the ipad air ipad air can do a lot of things you can do video editing you can do final cut you know like you can do all sorts of stuff Mm -hmm. on it if you really want to do it and so something like that, they could power a future Apple like Mac if they really, really wanted to. So like the statement that, you know, they want to allow kids to learn and, and create and engage on a different level compared to something like Chromebooks is like fair enough. And in 2018, it probably was less, yeah, yeah, like completely unrealistic. But like these days, like, you know, their silicon's pretty good and even their low end silicon can do a lot of stuff. So if they really, really wanted to, they could make a cheaper Mac uh, that could still fulfill a lot of the stuff that they market, you know, uh, but there, some of it's just like brand value, right? You start making cheaper mm-hmm. laptops, you're not you're, your brand is devalued. I mean, it's yeah. as simple as that. Like people, people are less likely to pay for your phone. It, like there's a fashion element to it, right? It's like Apple's seen as a premium upmarket brand. You make too much stuff that's cheap and like considered less good, and people stop buying your high end stuff because the brand disappears. Uh, you know, that's not why I buy Apple stuff, but there's definitely a market segment that they cater to and they care about the brand very much, and so that's one reason why they won't do it. There was also a story recently about how the lifespan of Chromebooks is so short, which that could be another factor in why a like mid-tier $700 MacBook would be appealing to the education market if they could buy that and it lasts longer than a Chromebook where like the average lifespan is like two years just because of the plastic material, the slow processor, the low specs. If, a se- if they can buy fewer computers over time at $700... That could be the the pitch that Apple can make to that market to, to argue that, yes, it's more expensive, but you'll get five years out of it instead of two years out of it. And kids like Apple stuff. I mean, that's, yeah, that's true. So like too. if the schools would, if, if, if you know, the prices were, weren't, you know, near enough and budgets allowed, they would do it. And we saw for a while that a lot of schools invested in iPad. And they kind yeah. of, uh, most of them kind of fell away from that just because the iPad wasn't capable enough. But if you did the same thing with like a, a cheaper end laptop, then maybe you'd have more success. So uh, the idea, the concept is pretty legit, I think. It's just whether Apple like is actually doing it, would want to do it, want to invest the time to do it. Because if you're looking at like easy growth areas, stuff like the iPhone is like, you know, always going to dominate. And you look at what they've done there for lower end markets, like emerging markets, they've done the iPhone SE. And the iPhone SE still looks like an iPhone 8. It's like it's not very competitive, you know? Like mm-hmm. maybe only finally next year they might actually have like an iPhone SE that actually looks like the modern range. So you have to kind of look at like what makes sense, but also like what Apple actually does. And so far they haven't shown a huge propensity to make like good, cheaper stuff. And that new iPhone SE, one of the rumors is that it'll look more modern, but it'll also be more expensive. 
which <laughs> which again counteracts the whole idea of an SC. You think kids in like middle school and high school who are using iPads? You think like Stage Manager? Yeah, I don't. I don't think Stage Manager solved the problem for the education market. No, I don't. I don't know what the software problem really is. Like, it doesn't need to be super capable. You don't need to run six apps at once. But there's still like just a limit, an inherent limitation, whether it's accurate or not. That schools prefer the Chromebook. I don't know operating system experience over the iPad. It even comes down to like you know some of the web apps they use are like written against Chrome, and they happen to not work in Safari, or or they they're expecting a cursor, right? And then if you're then buying case you know like keyboard cases with trackpads in them which adds more expense like it and then you've got like an ipad that can come away from the keyboard case at some point it's like we just actually just want to buy a computer with a screen and a keyboard in one thing that when you carry it around it closes on itself which also makes it less prone to breaking if the kids drop it you know like there are some inherent advantages of the laptop form factor for the education market so that's a lot of the reason and then chromebooks have inertia and they're cheap so like there's some good reasons why they 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 put along with them but, you know, Apple can always come along with something competitive if they want to and have a chance or at least, you know, making a dent. They, like, they always have sway is probably the way to put it, right? Yeah. Like, they can, if they ever want to, they can come into a market and at least have a good old go. Uh, they have the resources, they have the marketing budget, they have the relationships with these places. Because a lot of these schools, even if they've deployed Chromebooks, as, like, the, you know, the, the kids get Chromebooks, like, to take home, that's what they do, homework on and stuff, they have still, like, an Apple relationship. Maybe they have, like, a room for, like, media, for, like, Macs and stuff, and they have iPads and stuff. But, like, the thing that Apple really would like is, like, every kid gets assigned an, an iPad, right? Um, but the ergonomics and the economics don't quite line up there still. You know, one of the reasons, like, Tim Cook and Apple are probably so anti-Chromebook is that, Tim Cook loves to say, like, everyone should code or everyone can code, whatever that his little slogan is. You can't code on a Chromebook. Yeah, you can if you really want to. Can you code, like, like Swift UI? No, that's what they want I mean, you to do. But that's because Apple doesn't, like... Apple could theoretically make, like, a web app that let you code that. Do you know what I mean? Theoretically. And there's, other, there's plenty of online coding platforms that are more than capable enough for, like, kids to use if they really want to do it. And I'm sure some of them do. But, like... The Apple, I mean, you can't code in Swift UI app on a Windows computer. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. like, that, mm-hmm. that situation is just, it's just Mac only. Or, you know, you can kind of do it now in Swift Playgrounds on iPad. But I'm just saying, yeah. if they get all these middle schoolers to start coding Swift and make apps on the App Store, you just get those 30%, that 30% cut, and that makes some money off the kids, you know? That's... Yeah, I mean, if you, can, if you can crack the schools, there's huge long term value there. Like, it's the same way, like teenagers who there's a there's a really like common stat that like, all the like financial analysts quote like you know eighty percent of US teenagers have iPhones or something. And it's because yeah the retention's so high. So like if they're a teenager and they already have an iPhone, they probably like it. They're probably going to buy iPhones the rest of their entire life. So like if you can do that at the kids stage and get people you know sucked in on, I, I think part of the issue with like Chromebooks and like iPads and Macs and like comparing them at school at school age is like what people mostly have at home is like windows computers with chrome right like yeah it's just more familiar to people like you bring an ipad home and it's like kind of weird or you bring like a mac home and it's kind of weird so like apple has obstacles there in terms of like the adoption of the quote-unquote ecosystem uh but it can be overcome in time obviously iphones are super popular um the ipad just doesn't quite meet the mark for some different reasons a lot of it's just like software compatibility i think or like you want to print something and then like the print drivers aren't the same and like you can't do it in exactly the same way you want to or like you know there's all with an ipad there's always these like weird edge cases of like you've got to do this homework in this exact way and uh you can't quite do it a laptop you can on like web apps you can more um and right now they pick chromebook because they're cheap and they're easily accessible whatever but if apple really wanted to target this market i think they got a chance at least i remember going through like high school and college even as a obviously as like a mac user and having to make sure like any any paper, any PowerPoint or whatever that I uploaded to like be graded was in like a Microsoft Word or Google or Microsoft Word or PowerPoint format. Yep. Cause just because the rest of the system, everybody else used Windows. Teachers graded in Windows. There wasn't the whole system was based around Windows. And now I think it's also based around Google Google Sheets and Google Docs. Yeah, that's the other big thing why schools love it is it's Google's online services, right? So like you make them in the web apps, the schools can just the schools just have a Google like I, I forget what they call it, but you know like the Google admin account or whatever. Yeah. They can just see all the documents there on the drive, like 
the Apple equivalent of that isn't quite as built out. So you'd have to rely on more like third party stuff, or you'd be relying on like Google services on Apple hardware or something. Like it's a it's a pretty complicated equation. I wonder how much of the market Apple gave up by not having something in this product category during COVID. Because that's when even schools who were still behind on moving towards Chromebooks or iPads or whatever, like that kicked them into full gear. They had to do something. And I think based on like what I've seen and who I've talked to, Google and like their whole Google Classroom platform is what won out in that battle. That is true, but I'm sure if you asked like Apple, they would say, well, you know, iPad oh, yeah. and Mac sales boomed during that same period. So we didn't do, you know, we didn't come off too badly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, they, they have different market segments and... The market segments Apple targets and does well in are very lucrative. Apple seems weirdly interested in classical music because they did Apple Music Classical, what, that launched in March? Mm -hmm. And then this week they acquired a classical music like record label that's been around for 50 years called BIS Records. And it what how they describe themselves is the leading record label for classical music in Scandinavia which that seems pretty niche for to have like caught Apple's eye for an acquisition. But I can see how this would bolster like Apple Music Classical as a service with more exclusive content, better relationship with artists. And what the BIS Records founder said is that the company will become part of Apple Music Classical and Platoon. Platoon is like the other startup that Apple acquired in 2018. And they're described as like, not like a label, but like a platform for unsigned artists. They're like indies, right? Yeah, like yeah. indies, yeah. I don't really see how classical music and platoon will come together, but I think it's interesting that Apple is apparently like really into classical music, even though we haven't heard a whole lot about Apple Music Classical since it launched. Yeah, and like buying a label is like different to buying like technology rights, you know, like because right. like buying a label is more like what people want them to do for like apple tv plus they want to buy like a film yeah. studio so they get all their you know they get all the back catalog of content or whatever like and presumably most of the music that bs records represented was already available in yeah apple music classical through licensing deals or whatever else so like it's kind of a weird one but yeah it's just like a wider point of they clearly like classical music a lot because they don't have music classical it must have done well enough for them to keep going with it because they wouldn't you know apple doesn't buy companies willy-nilly they obviously have a reason for it so Classical music uh, continues to be an investment area for them. I thought it was interesting too that BIS Records like announced the acquisition themselves. They did a post on like Twitter and Facebook, and then also redid their homepage to say they'd been acquired by Apple. That usually doesn't happen. Usually, you know, it's like somebody sometimes will... it happens. Like Dark Sky kind of did that, right? Yeah, like, Dark Sky did they... that. Yeah, and I think um, Bedit did as well. Like it varies. It does. It does vary. I've, I've stuff that has more like consumer facing presence they generally update their websites i think to like just mention the acquisition or that they're shuttering or whatever else because the um what was that company that they turned into xcode cloud called uh it was it was like mac buddy or something something like that um and or, or mac build or something like yeah. buddy build buddy build i think it's called yeah uh they also, they, you know, when the acquisition was done, they put like a website notice up and they told clients like, you know, don't worry, we'll keep supporting you for X number of years and stuff. So like when Apple buys something that has consumer like active products, then they do kind of have to promote it a bit more. Uh, whereas when they're buying like aqua hires or stuff that's, you know, like mm -hmm. like startups that haven't really like got a market presence yet, but they have like good technology, then they just don't bother as much. I think it also out. ties yeah. into when the acquisition's related to an, unreleased product category like they acquired that next vr company which was obviously part of the overall vision pro strategy and they didn't that was like under the table mm -hmm. where next vr didn't say anything obviously but bis records i mean it's just it's just an apple music classical edition like there's nothing more to it i don't think apple's going to get in the business of being a record label yeah it seems unlikely and when apple music was new like 2015 kind of time frame there was a um trend for Apple Music and Spotify to invest in more like exclusives so they have like exclusive mm -hmm. albums or like they get an album for like a you know I think Frank Ocean did one where it was like exclusive for like a month or whatever before it was like oh, yeah. elsewhere and the artists the uh, labels uh, the record labels kind of pushed back against that and it kind of evaporated uh, 
So it doesn't. The, the trend of the music industry is not to go down all this like exclusive stuff, uh, which is obviously very different to how you know streaming on TV um, is going. Do you use or have you used at all Apple Music Classical since it was released? No, no. I don't like classical music. So the only thing it. I've like found that was interesting in it is you can get soundtracks, like TV show and movie soundtracks. But that's not enough for me to stop just finding that same content in Apple Music. And like, right, the same tracks are in Apple Music, right? Yeah, like, you get so like you, some if more. If you're credits. maybe using Apple Music, why do you want to use a separate app? Like, you only really want to use that separate app if you care about all the metadata and the attribution mm-hmm. and all that's available for all the classical artists. But I don't really care about that. You know, when I use the music app, I'm mostly just putting on like Shuffle or something. So, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even explore through the music app that much. But clearly, enough people are using it for Apple to make another acquisition. So we must be, maybe we're in the minority. Maybe everybody's, all the teens with their, with their iPhones are listening to classical music now. Yeah. There was also a thing I saw where like BAS has like a history of um, high, high resolution, high quality recordings, which oh, does yeah. dovetail a bit mm-hmm. into like the loss of audio, spatial audio kind of domain. Um, so there's some synergies there, but yeah, it's kind of random. Uh, I guess we'll see what happens. Eventually. The founder and the announcement post was also, he said, I don't know he basically said that he's old and i think the that <laughs> apple that apple money makes it a lot easier to be old and retire <laughs> another small thing this week was apple announced that the vision os app store will launch to developers sometime this fall so correct me if i'm wrong Mayo, but my interpretation of this means that right now the app store app isn't on the vision pro like developer kits and it's not in the simulator which is true of the iphone as well oh really yeah so like the iphone and ipad simulators don't have the app store app on them so this is why this is like unusual because they're basically saying that this full the betas for vision os will include the app store but even like you know apple watch apple tv iphone ipad they don't have an app store available on their simulators you have to have devices so it's kind of like a and and in the before they came out, there was no way to access an app store for them. Like you couldn't like download the like if let's say in the run up to the Apple Watch come out, you can download the Apple Watch apps on the simulator. It just doesn't let you do it. So this is kind of unique. So this means that the through the simulator and through for the developers that have the hardware the hardware kits, they'll be able to go to the app store and download anything that's available there. Because remember yeah, Vision OS least, can it, run any iPhone or iPad app too. Yeah, because right now you can't submit a Vision OS app to the store, right? So the only thing that would be available this fall would be uh, the iOS apps compatibility. Oh, so, so that'll I, let people like... But the developers can already test their apps. Yeah, they can test their own apps, but I guess I guess it's like an additional pressure for like people to support yeah. it, maybe, or like... Net, hey, hey, Netflix, you know, like <laughs> make sure you turn the... You, you don't uncheck the toggle or whatever, like... I wondered if it was a bit of a reaction to what happened with the Mac, where the um, app, obviously Apple Silicon can run the iOS apps or you know compatible iOS apps in the store directly, but a lot of developers turn them off. So like maybe by just having the store available a bit earlier, there's a bit more pressure for the companies not to turn them off. Maybe I don't know. It was an interesting little tidbit though, and it kind of suggested to me that maybe they're going to have a pretty wide distribution of physical hardware earlier. Or maybe they're going to give it to like some members of the press this year and they're going to run the betas too and have some apps to actually use on it. You know, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, it definitely kind of leads into an idea that early next year might actually be early next year because they're doing all the things they need to to be ready for like, you know, a January, February timeframe rather than like a April, May timeframe. Um, at least from the, obviously they haven't promised anything, but if they're launching this fall, uh, it's kind of faster than you'd probably expect them to be on that kind of schedule like maybe they launch in october and they say in november well now developers start submitting their vision os apps to the store and then all the vision os people that have kits or whatever can start using the apps themselves too like it is a bit of a change of the normal timeline because yeah like in in every other previous apple platform the app store is only on device it's not in the simulators I guess it could also like encourage some competition for developers. If one developer goes to the app store and sees that, oh, this person's app in the same category runs a lot better on Vision OS than mine does. Like if I want to retain the market, I need to, to catch up to them. And they can also just see what other people are doing and learn about some of the ways developers are implementing like the best practices for design and interaction. And 
that definitely might be part of it. Like maybe in like November, um, the Apple developer evangelists go and visit a load of big companies and they're like, here's oh, the yeah. Vision OS App Store as it stands today. Your competitor here, here, and here are already <laughs> on it, right? But you're not. Come on, get your, get your, get your act together, you know? So does this mean I could download the Vision OS simulator and use the App Store and try out other apps? That's on? what it seems to suggest to me, yeah. Like I say, this is un- this is new territory. Like this is a bit unprecedented. But the way it's written on that email, it does sound like the simulator is going to have the App Store app there, and you'll be able to download. Like I said, the Vision OS. You, no developer can submit a Vision OS app to the store yet. They don't let mm-hmm. you. But the compatible iPhone and iPad app should already be listed there. So yeah, eat your heart out. <laughs> <laughs> I eat your that. heart out on simulated versions of simulated versions running inside the simulator. Do you think most developers are going to opt out of the? Running iPhone or iPad apps? Oh, probably. Probably. The big companies like doing it because it gives them less support burden. Like, you know, you don't need to train your support team on the for the five people that are going to actually try it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I hope I, I hope people don't, but they probably will. Like, look at the, the same number of companies that turned off Apple Silicon apps on the Mac. Right, yeah. Uh, it's all the big the companies. Same thing on, Vision, on the headset, yeah. Do you Are you using any iPhone or iPad apps regularly on your Mac? No. So I was thinking... I only the only did... one I had was um, the Mastodon app, like the official oh, yeah. Mastodon client app. Mm-hmm. That, that runs like that. It's all right. I mean, I don't use it very often. I just tend to use the website. I don't know. I don't use a lot of apps on my Mac in general. Uh, I'd probably use Instagram on the Mac if they turned it on, you know? The only one I use is Overcast, and even Marco has like admitted that it's not a great experience, and... But it's there, and it's better to have than nothing. And I wish more developers would understand that. But for I think one thing that also might impact developers, like this is like on the Mac, I mean, that might encourage more developers to turn the option off is the new web apps thing in Safari and macOS Sonoma. Because look at Instagram or Threads, for example. They don't have dedicated Mac apps or, or iPad apps, and they disable the option to run the iPhone version on your Mac. But Instagram and Threads both have pretty fully functional web versions that in macOS Sonoma you can just save to your dock. And it works pretty much just like a native app would. So they had now have no motivation to make any of the little tweaks they want to make to run the iPhone or iPad version on the Mac. The story is different for Vision Pro, obviously, but... Yeah, like, this is all a unit-sold equation, as we spoke about in previous episodes. Like, the iPhone is huge, the iPad is a tenth of that, and the Mac is maybe a half of the iPad or something. So, like, companies prioritize in that order. The iPhone mm-hmm. gets dedicated, you know, developers. They have developer teams run making... Like, most companies work like this, right? They have a dedicated team making an iOS and Android app. Then they have a web app that runs on the desktop. And then maybe you get an iPad app if you're lucky. So, like, these companies don't have... And, and the desktop app is mostly servicing Windows, right? Like, rather yeah. than Macs in most cases. So, these companies don't really have much incentive to be like... Yeah, we'll turn on this stupid little toggle that people maybe have some issues about and complainants about to make better. And if there's bugs or it crashes or whatever, then it's our fault. Like for them, it's easy if they just don't turn that on. And Vision Pro is probably going to be more like the Mac, just in terms of units sold, right? A lot, a lot. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, right Mac, out of the gate, a lot yeah. less. But over time, like you know, roughly in that kind of same pecking order. Vision Pro sales are going to be equivalent to like the Mac if the only Mac Apple sold was like the a $15,000 configuration of the Mac Pro. Just the Mac Pro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not even including like the, the base model Mac Pro, like only those crazy, what, I guess the, they're less crazy now with the new Apple Silicon version, but remember- Yeah, it like, only maxes out about 15, yeah. You, you get you like, what the, You can't buy the one and a half terabytes of RAM. Yeah, that was it. So that's like pretty much a good recap of the news this week, but obviously the elephant in the room is next week's event- which is Tuesday, Wonderlust, iPhone 15, all of that. They're announcing the iPhone 15? Um, I think so. I heard. I, oh. See, we won't be there. They didn't invite us, so we'll find out sometime on Tuesday. Just yeah. to, I, guess, uh, I guess I have to check Twitter afterwards. X. You have to check X. <laughs> anyway, instead of just kind of walking through everything that we expect, because we've kind of done that over the last few weeks, we put a call out for some Ask 9to5Mac questions to see kind of what people still were wondering about and what and one thing we got a couple questions on is battery life so the first one was from dennis long and he asked what will the battery sizes be for the different phones 
the rumor that we saw a few months ago was that we're getting a pretty big increase across the board. iPhone 15's battery will be about 18% bigger, 15 Plus about 14% bigger, 15 Pro about 14% bigger, and Pro Max about 11% bigger. But when I was putting these numbers in the show notes today, I clicked through to the original rumor and it had been updated to say something along the lines of like, this information is unconfirmed. I have no idea if it's true. Oh, <laughs> so now I'm like a little bit skeptical. I don't. I don't think we really know the numbers. I mean, to be fair, battery capacity generally leaks out. Like it, it does. That's why when those numbers come out on like Weibo or you know those random sites, it's like generally correct for some reason. Like battery capacities leak out for who knows why, but they do. But Apple itself doesn't talk about battery capacity, do they? At least in terms of no milliamp hours they probably they probably do on some regulatory page somewhere because they have to that's where we usually find out like to confirm is through regulatory filings yeah but then nathan binzi also kind of dovetailed on that wondering what kind of battery improvement we might see by moving to the three nanometer chips so it's the a17 bionic apple's first three nanometer chip to me this is always just a reminder that we could see battery life improvements we could see crazy performance improvements but i think like the most likely scenario is that it all just kind of balances out and we probably don't really see much battery life improvement maybe a little bit uh i i again apple can choose and tweak yeah. the sliders how they want uh moving to from five nanometer to three nanometer gives you more headroom right because the literal transistors on the chip get closer together which right. means there's less energy required to move from transistor to transistor, which means less heat, which means less battery, you know, ultimately less power going to the system. And because the transistors are physically closer, it also speeds it up, right? Because you can literally get the circuits going around there faster and faster than you could before because there's more space between them. You know, that's a high-level, very simplified explanation, but basically they're closer together, so there's less power needed, and they're closer together, so they're faster in general. But... You know, Apple could let's say let's say going from five nanometer three nanometer gives you a you know fifty percent efficiency improvement. Well, Apple could spend that fifty percent efficiency efficiency improvement on juicing the performance up, so it's you know twenty five percent faster, but you're not actually getting any more longevity on battery because the power usage has basically been evened out. Um, generally, when they move um, down a fabrication node size, I feel like they kind of do a bit of both, like it gets faster and they push battery life a little bit. Combined with the um, you know those capacities, those ten to forty percent. If they do, if they do play out, and you know, obviously, you know, the the reporting got uh, updated, it's unconfirmed. But if they are accurate, and you're getting like, you know, ten percent more uh, milliamp hours or whatever across the board, you'd probably expect to see like another. Combine that with the three nanometer transition, I would expect maybe you get an extra hour, hour and a half. And I think Apple is highly incentivized to organize these. Um, different functions in that way because they love having the slide just like the most battery life ever in an iphone you know so like i would probably i mean if you want me to predict i would say they're gonna you know you will get a bit of a performance bump i think you get more performance bump coming on the m3 three nanometer max Mm -hmm. because they care about performance more there on the phone they generally balance efficiency and performance quite fairly so i think the phones will be faster but you probably get an hour to two hours more on apple's rated battery life stats that's what I'm kind of expecting them to say next week. Most iPhone users aren't like maxing out the what's now like the A16 Bionic chip. So how does the battery life factor into that with performance? If people just aren't reaching that top level of performance, like you, there's you can't make the phone faster for watching TikToks and scrolling yeah, but going on. down three nanometer still makes the lower performance states more efficient right more it's efficient right it to, yeah to 100 like you max the um you know you max the a16 chip like full throttle running a 3d game the battery goes down very quickly i mean it's just a fact right? you're charging yeah. all the chips at full power but in the lower power states when they're running on the efficiency calls or whatever all the efficiency calls will move to three nanometer as well so they'll be even more efficient right so like the over the course of the day overall battery life tends to get pushed up i mean the biggest factor with the iphone like battery life is more like self service a lot of the time like if you have really bad cell service the the antennas have to work harder the 5g antennas have to work harder so you know there's a whole whole load of different equations but apple's general um way of measuring is they do that video streaming test right where they just run video for as long as they can and i think the iphone 
is rated at like 18 hours these days. Maybe it's 22 hours. It's like some insane number. So if it, I think if it's, it's 22 hours on the Pro Max, 23, 24 hours, not not unreasonable to expect, I think. And the 14 series, 14 Pro at least, battery wasn't great. So awesome. they can give you a couple of extra hours of, you know, rated extra battery and then that translates into like an hour extra in practical day-to-day terms i think that would be very much welcomed i'm probably underestimating how many people play games on their phone because i don't really play games like my wife has been playing that you know that apple arcade game it was like a it was popular then it went away and now it's back on apple arcade ridiculous fishing i think is Mm -hmm. what it's called she's been playing that non-stop and like it'll be like an hour and she said my phone is so hot i'm even batteries drop 50 percent and say, well, have you heard the good news about three nanometer processors? <laughs> so, I guess oh, they're definitely going to say three nanometer, by the way. You think so? Or are you being sarcastic? Oh, 100%. They it's talk a- about five nanometer all the time. Three nanometer, they're going to have a massive slide that just says three nanometer on it. Because Apple doesn't talk about specs that often, but they do when they've got something that's exclusive to them and they that's love true. it. Right? And they're going to have a three exclusivity on three nanometer for a long time. And so you're going to see 100% they'll announce uh, the A17 chip and they'll say it runs on 3 nanometer and it's the world's first 3 nanometer or something to that effect because they talk about their... Like, everyone likes to say, well, Apple never talks about specs. They talk about the specs when they're winning. Like, it's yeah. just, any, any company does. And they've been winning on the silicon side for a while and so they have massive sections of their keynote now which are talking about the number of transistors and the, you know, the different media engines and all this stuff. They'll say 3 nanometer 100%. You know what I realized this week is that last year when they did the A16 Bionic, they said it was four nanometers. Mm. But isn't there's like a big asterisk to that? Isn't it like four nanometer plus or something? Well, yeah. I mean, it's like a, all of these things are like a bit of snake oil. You know, like the Intel fabrication size is different to how TSMC measure it. Like. You know, a ten min a ten nanometer Intel chip is more equivalent to like a seven nanometer TSMC chip. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah, it, it depends how you measure it, and like some of it's a bit fake or whatever. And you can kind of, if you want to, you can kind of like trick the numbers. Like, you can obviously have a three nanometer chip that's really slow. Like, just because it's three nanometer doesn't mean it's fast. Like, yeah, there's a whole load of factors that go into it. But Apple called it four nanometer, yeah, for some reason. I'm sure it's backed by some fact of truth, but it was more like they took, like TSMC made five nanometer in a slightly different way at the fact of the same factory. So like technically they called it four, four plus or something like you said. Uh, the three nanometer that they are, like the, some of the rumors were that three nanometer chip was meant to launch last year. Last and year, there were yeah. just, you know, yield issues that meant it not happening. Um, but this is legit. This is the time where you're getting the actual the actual difference coming around and if you remember there was an information report last year that said originally the iphone 14 gpu was meant to support um ray tracing right for a better gpu experience um so you'll probably find that they might talk about ray tracing a little bit on the a17 gpu side of life and have some pretty demo where they've got lots of reflections and glass and something nate gorby asked what do you guys think are the chances that pro max rebrands to ultra so this has been rumored a little bit, but I think one thing me and you have both both learned in writing about Apple for 10 years is you never bet on marketing names, and I think this is the perfect example of that. Yeah. I'll answer the question, though. I don't think Ultra is ready yet. Yeah. I think they're going to save Ultra for another, for another cycle. Uh, I'm kind of imagining the lineup maybe next year or the year after will be like base model plus Pro, Pro Max, and then Ultra as a separate model. Oh, really? You don't think it's yeah. going to replace Pro Max? It'll be alongside Pro Max. Right, yeah. Right, so they'll be like, you can buy a Pro Max or you can buy an Ultra. Hmm. Uh, which is kind of what they do on the watches, right? Because they have like, I mean, I guess, because the watch is like, a, the watch has the 40 nanometer and then the, 44, the 41 and the 45, and then you can go even bigger and get a 49, right, which is the Ultra. Um, I kind of feel like that's the direction, if I was running Apple, that's kind of the direction I would run with, where you have like, Base model plus 6.1 inch, 6.7 inch max, and then a, you know, maybe you go even bigger, or maybe you go folding, or maybe you do something crazy. Like, that's where the Ultra yeah. will kind of end up. Maybe the, the first generation Ultra isn't going to be folding, but, you know, down the road, that's where it would come to first. Like, I think you're kind of selling yourself short if you just chain, take the current Pro Max we know today and call it an Ultra. Uh, the only new, like, as far as we know, the only feature this year that distinguishes the Pro from the Pro Max is the periscope lens. Mm hmm. 
I don't think that's really enough for them to brand it as a whole separate model. Like, look at the Apple Watch Ultra. It's way different to the Series 9 or Series 8 or whatever. Like, you know, different design, different materials, looks different, you know, different capabilities, different features. Kind of the same on the Max 2. Like, the Mac, the Ultra, the M2 Ultra chip is, like, twice as many cores as the mm. M2 Max chip. Like, I feel like they've kind of, you know, if you want to add some semblance of logic to apple's naming scheme which is always a (laughs) treacherous path but if you want to try and do that they've generally saved ultra for something a bit more significant than just a slightly different camera right like and that camera is also supposed to come to the standard pro next year so that would mean that at next year they would also have to have something else exclusive to what would be the 16 pro max to differentiate that one from the standard pro yeah, that like seems... you know, if 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 the rumor was the titanium finish was only coming to like the Max and not the Pro, mm-hmm, there'd be a lot yeah. more argument if they would then change it to an Ultra naming or something. Uh, but as is, I'm kind of just expecting to this year announce 15 Pro and Pro Max. The Ultra is like a thing they'll do in the future for sure, but I don't think this is the year. Apple Watcher asked about how the iPhone design has been the same since basically the iPhone 12, and it's getting a bit long in the tooth since this will be the fourth year with limited changes. So they want to know what's the big, the next big design change. Is that a foldable iPhone or is it something else? I think you've got to reset your expectations a little bit because the iPhone is a mature product. I think Apple sees this year the iPhone 15 as a significant design change because they're going mm-hmm. to titanium. They're making the bezels even thinner on the screen. You know, they're rounding off the edges. They're giving you some new color options. They're upgrading the camera system. They're putting USB-C port on it. Like, I think they count this as one of the flagship changes. Yes, it is way smaller in design than switching from, like, the iPhone 11 to the iPhone 12 or, you know, the iPhone 8 to the iPhone 10 or even further back or whatever you want. But in this, you know, modern era of the of the mature iPhone, this probably is one of the bigger the bigger years. It just, it just is. Um, and I think Apple would argue that this already cut, it's just only one year later than when they put the Dynamic Island on the 14 Pros last year, mm-hmm. which is also quite a big change, like visually or whatever. Um, and so they would say, they would try and argue that this is a pretty big change and not outside of the marketing bubble. I'd kind of agree with them. Like, you know, there's only so much you can do with the iPhone form factor, as long as it's not going to start folding, right, which we can get to in a second. Mm-hmm. If you've just got a screen, you can have rounded edges, you can have straight edges made of, you know some material like there's not too much more room they've got to really me- to mix things up so on that s- measure this year is probably a decently significant change are they going to do a folding phone eventually yes probably i don't think it's this next year i don't think it's probably the year like, i think it's a way off but they're probably going to do a folding phone eventually um and it'll probably be quite good when they eventually get around to it but it's not in the near-term future Phone sales, like in terms of you know market demand, uh, I think are going to be pretty stable, and they don't really have a pressure to like randomly do something super drastic for no reason other than to like juice the sales a little bit. So I think they'll push the iPhone 15 Pro series as a pretty big upgrade, and it will be relatively popular. Like it is a design change, yeah. It's just this is the kind of big design change you have to be more accepting of in the current time. Yeah, the interim step between what we have now and a foldable phone is probably. The iPhone with no cutouts on the screen at all. Mm, so yeah. Under display face ID, maybe like under screen touch ID or whatever, if they're still working on that. And that, even that's the, what the current rumors on that is like 2025, 2026. And so a foldable phone is going to be even further than that. And the rumors seem to suggest that Apple's first foldable will be an iPad rather than a phone. And if you look at like the iPhone 10 was 2017, the iPhone the first iPhone was 2007 and there were big design changes in between those two but in terms of like radically different it's been six years since the iPhone 10 but we've also like you said had the 10 to the 10s to the 12 and I don't think it's I think it's boring that we haven't seen and likely are not going to see another big change anytime soon but it's a mature market Apple's focus is Apple's focus is on kind of stretching what we have now to the more high end and packing more stuff into that rather than making big design changes. Then last but not least, Ray Preyas asked, why choose iPhone 15 over iPhone 14? 
So I wrote a little bit about this this week, and the three things I pointed out that are the reasons I'm upgrading, not that I haven't bought every single iPhone for the past like 10 years, but the three things that stand out to me are USB-C, the Periscope camera, and the Titanium. I think USB-C is going to be like a big lifestyle change, especially when traveling. The Periscope camera, the iPhone is so far behind what Samsung and Google already offer in terms of Periscope camera technology. Like the telephoto lens is limited to 3x and some of the Samsung phones go up to 10x. And that's like one of the things that I see most often that's like kind of pulling people towards Samsung, especially for videos and photos at concerts. And it's just seeing how much better the zoom is on like the S23 Ultra. It's such an easily demo demo exactly. feature, yeah. right? Like here's a picture and then you zoom, 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 and then you hit the 10x optical zoom. And then the Samsung phone, some of them that you go up to like 30 or like 50 or even like 100 using digital zoom after that. Yeah. They blend in some AI stuff to kind of smooth it out or whatever. Um, and, you know, it looks really good. It's impressive. It's like, wow, I was standing here and I can see that tiny little thing in the corner. You know, it's an, it's a, it's an easy thing that like has some real world use, you know, not super common. Like I don't think every single day you're zooming to 10 times or whatever, but it does happen. Um, and when you're in the shop, the salespeople can do it. And you're like, wow, that's cool. That sounds good. And then and then it's an easy stat, right? Like it's a stat win. It's like, this one is a 10x, this one is a three. Ten's bigger than three, you know? The more I think about it too, the more like practical use cases I can come up with. I was just thinking like, I like to take, obviously you have a dog, you want to take pictures of the dog. The dog is doing something funny or cute or whatever. You want to get close enough to take the picture, but the closer you get, the dog's going to, stop doing what they're doing or like run away from you. So you just stand far away and take a nice periscope camera, zoom in on the dog and you got your picture. I think there's a lot of different ways this can be used. And I think it's one of the things Apple's going to focus on most, especially because they just want more people buying the pro max in general. I think it's more, more useful than the ultra wide for sure. hundred percent. Yeah. The ultra wide is like a meme now. Yeah. <laughs> People take ugly pictures of themselves and whatever with the ultra wide, and I don't think I don't think that was the intention. The titanium design, I think, if it's significantly lighter, which probably ties back a little bit to the things we talked about with battery, because if there's a bigger battery inside, that might offset some of the weight change. But hopefully, titanium means the Pro Max is a lot lighter than the 14 Pro Max, because the 14 Pro Max is heavy, and I think that weight is like. The biggest reason some people might have opted for the 14 Pro or even the standard 14. I think the 14 Pro is heavy as well. Like it It's is, heavier yeah. than um, some of our Apple's older generations. Like I would hope that they are slowly trending away you know, to be slightly lighter and slightly thinner too. Like I know there was the, the meme for a while. It's like, Apple does nothing but make the phones thinner and then everyone complained that it was super thin so they start making things yeah. again and putting more battery in. But like, I feel like now they've gone... Kind of too far in the other direction, and it's like quite mm-hmm. bulky and heavy again. Like somewhere closer to maybe like the iPhone 11, iPhone 12 kind of weight battery yeah. life situation um, was maybe a better balance. So yeah, if they can make it slightly lighter, I, I would welcome that. Maybe slightly thinner, but I think the thing we're not expecting the thickness to change this year. The other thing about the titanium too is that it'll have like a matte finish. The stainless steel is glossy, which means the iPhone 14 pro with the stainless steel edges as a fingerprint magnet and it also scratches really easily it's one of the things that i've always preferred about the non-pro phones of this generation is the aluminum edges just because a it makes the phones lighter and b it just feels nicer less fingerprinty less like greasy in your hands so i think the matte finish is another nice side effect of the titanium what do you think if you, you're not upgrading this year, so you're not choosing iPhone 15 over iPhone 14, but is there anything which people need to be more okay with? Like, you know, not upgrading. obviously Apple will tout, tout the praises of every new phone they come out with, but they don't expect you to upgrade every single year. So, and you can, you know, three or four year cycle, two or two to three, four year cycle. They're happy with that. And I think if you look, compare the iPhone today to three years ago, it is quite a big jump. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's how they keep ticking over because most of, you know, most cell phone contracts are, what, two years, right? So they're as long as they can compare you over a longer span, they're happy. The, like, USB-C I, is not a thing where I'm like, 
this is what's going to convince me to upgrade. Like, it's just... There's nothing wrong with it. And, yeah, it'd be nicer if it if I had the same cable with all my stuff. But right now, today, I make do with Lightning for things and USB-C for the laptop. And eventually, when I get USB-C on the phone as well, it'll be a bit easier. But it's not like a... It's not like enough of a thing to make me like, I've got to upgrade the phone, you know, just to get yeah. rid of the one extra cable I carry around. Because that it's almost like the pain of that is already embedded in your life, right? Like all you're doing is kind of removing the pain and in some cases having to buy more USB-C cables to replace the lightning cables you carry around. So it's not like, you know, it's a nice, it's a nicety, but it's not an upgrading force. Uh, the design, especially the, the thinner bezels, I'm kind of hoping does look pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Again, it's not a, you know, these are, we're talking on the minor spectrum, right? Kind of like the Apple Watch Series 7, which kind of pushed the screen over the edge, right? With, the, you know, that bezel change. Um, if they do a kind of similar thing here with the iPhone, because the iPhone bezel is like shrinking in half to like 1.5 millimeters. Um, and by some metrics will be the thinnest bezels on any phone ever. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, I think that could look pretty cool. And, you know, the fashion of the screen bezel is definitely a factor. And so um, I would be a bit jealous of that. Uh, the camera system... I think we'll get upgrades again this year, not just the periscope lens, but in general, I'm sure the lenses will get better, you know, taking more light, um, et cetera, et cetera. And if they can kind of build on what they started with the 14 Pro, with the 48 megapixel sensor, and, you know, make some better algorithms or something, or better camera software, or, you know, computational photography, whatever you want to call it, to take more advantage of the 48 megapixel sensor in regular day-to-day shooting for the 15 photos... Um, that would be great if they can fix the thing the kind of um, regression on the 14 pro thing where they added 40 megapixels but they made the focal length yeah the focus distance really short when you're close up if they can fix that for the 15 pro lenses that'd be great because uh, that really gets in my way like that's you take photos yeah. of like papers or documents or like your id or something and you know it always goes out of focus and you have to like move it around and then it in the in the apple camera app it switches lenses to kind of mitigate it a bit but in third-party apps you know like a lot of third-party apps these days like take a photo of your id to verify your identity but they don't have any clue about the fact that the default lens is bad at short distance focus these days so they just like going super blurry and it's really annoying so that would definitely be a factor because that's one area where the 14 pro was definitely worse than the previous year's phones and I don't feel like I really get the advantage out of the 40 megapixel. Like, if you run, if you take raw shots, I do think you get more detail, and it's not just like a placebo effect, but the raw shots are huge, and so they're kind of impractical. They take a bit longer to process. Feels mm-hmm. like, to me, there's some way they could unlock more of that sensor potential on day-to-day JPEG shoot, shooting. Like, they don't even they don't even let you take a 48 megapixel JPEG as an option in the camera app at the moment, which is kind of random. Um but maybe they could still do a 12 megapixel image. They're just incorporating more sensor data and doing more, you know, pixel fusion, sensor fusion, whatever you want to call it. So there's kind of the stuff that I think they could put forward a decently compelling year over year change. And the chip would be faster and blah, 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 battery life, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but practically speaking, they would have to do like a iPhone 10 change for me to upgrade one year later you know like yeah. I'm not buying mm-hmm. these phones these days to like change every single year because I buy them fully outright so it's you know quite a big whack uh, and so I want to get the money's worth of them and so you know basically what we know they're going to announce next week is not going to be enough for me to, to get my money out um, I'm already kind of half regretting the Apple Watch situation <laughs> where it's like <laughs> you know the, this is not the per- best year ever to upgrade the Apple Watch but it doesn't no. need upgrading so here we are the point about the bezels, I think, in regards to the Apple Watch is interesting because remember we knew the Apple Watch screen was going to get like slightly bigger, but then what Apple actually announced like was a bigger difference than we expected in terms of how it looked. I'm curious if the iPhone will be this be similar because 1.5 millimeter bezels sound impressive and some of the renders look impressive, but I think what we ultimately see might be even more impressive with the curved edges and how Apple can kind of blend those, blend all of that together. I don't know. I'm excited to see basically the marketing pictures of what those smaller bezels look like. Yeah, just to be clear, it's not going to be like the screen isn't going to be curved over like the watch no, is no. Um, but It's like the, the edges of the phone are going to be slightly, yeah, a little bit more curved, right? I so think. like the seam between the flat screen and this side will be a bit more right. integrated. Yeah. And then if you're looking at face onwards, the corner, all the bezels around the edge will be half as thick as they are today because obviously apple knows that the biggest thing that prompts people to upgrade even year over year is a new design it's a status symbol if it looks different people want it that's just a fact 
but not you. The colours are a bit disappointing, as we spoke about in previous yeah. weeks. <laughs> I will say there have been some dummy unit pictures that have come out in better lighting that at least make the colours look more different than each other, but still pretty boring. I think the lack of red is a bit of a thing, but that might they, they'll probably have a colour in the spring. Like, you look at those dummy lineup, you're like, I bet they're going to do a colour refresh in the spring this year for the pro model that will just add on a more vibrant colour of some description. Maybe red. They haven't done a spring colour revamp of the pro ever. For a have while. They? I don't... they have once, I think. They did the... Didn't they do a green one one time? The green one came out at the same time as the rest of them, I thought, because they did a green... Was there, was... There was a... one year they did it. They did a... There was one year they did a pro refresh in the spring, really? for sure. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but... I miss the days where the color refresh would be product red. I think that was the... Was that the 7 and the 8, maybe? Mm-hmm. Where there were multiple years. Then they years. just started doing red yeah. in the lineup. Because based on what we've seen again. so far, there's no red for the standard 15 or the 15 Pro. Yeah, so maybe we're going back to spring red. So I'm going to have to buy another iPhone in the spring to get the no, color I wanted. Don't. No, you don't. Anyway, I think that's about everything for this week. Next week, it's obviously going to be a a big week, a lot of news. So we'll have a long episode next Friday. Before we go, I wanted to plug a quick interview that I did on Launched, which is a podcast hosted by Charlie Chapman. He's the developer that makes the Dark Noise app, which is an excellent app. But he had me on Launched to talk about 9to5Mac and some of like the the business of it and how we run as an online media company. It was a fun interview. I'll put the link in the show notes. But if you have feedback about this show, you can email us happyhour at 9to5mac.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever. Leave us a rating and a review. And on Apple Podcasts, you can find an ad-free version of the show, $5 a month or $50 a year. I am on Twitter, Macedon, Threads, at Chance H. Miller, and mayo all the same places bza mayo all right thanks mayo bye-bye 12 pro no alpine green iphone 13 pro max there we that's go. right yeah it was green it was green yeah 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 i knew <laughs> it was green you, you you're me right out of it. well there was an 11 pro green yeah they did the 11 of... pro that came in green yeah but then the 13 Pro, they did a green one, yeah. iPhone 13, and yeah, they were both green, weren't they? The Yeah, they did a green 13 and a green 13 Pro. I bought that green 13.